As you see on the screen, there's, uh, we're going to be looking in Colossians 1. My family didn't know what I would be speaking on today. And last night at the end of the year, we were sitting around talking about life and spiritual life and the future and the past. And, and Colossians chapter 1 came up in the conversation and we talked about how much we enjoyed it, how much it challenged us, encouraged us. And, and they didn't know it, but I was planning to preach from it this morning. So that was fun. So now I'm going to quote them. No, uh, <laughs> I couldn't do that because they would quote me back. But uh, it is a blessing to have family members at home and at church who love the Lord. And as we look around our community, there's a lot of people who don't. There's people who used to attend here that have made poor life choices. There's people who have not attended church anywhere for years. There's people who need to be saved. People who don't even realize the desperate situation of their soul because they're on their way to hell until they trust Christ as Savior. So we should rejoice in what we have, but let's not take it for granted. Let's share it with other people who desperately need it too. Father, as we look in your word today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts. We pray that you would convict us. We also pray that you would encourage us. There are some things we do really well. Encourage us in those things, Lord. In the things that need to change, convict us and guide us. Uh, we want this service to have meaning. Not just be, oh, you know, that's what we do on Sunday. We go to church. But we go to church. We meet with God and His people. We open His Word. We listen to His Spirit. We are drawn closer to Him. Lord, let it be a life-changing experience through the power of Your Spirit and the power of Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. Faith in Christ as we face the future. Uh, the church in Colossae and the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the people in Colossae, they were facing difficult times. Christianity was legal at that time. It later would become the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. But soon after this letter, it became illegal to be a Christian. The Apostle Paul himself, according to history, was uh, beheaded for Christ. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, John was boiled alive, or boiled in oil, boiled alive, and then banished to the Isle of Patmos when the burning oil didn't kill him. According to history, every one of the apostles suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. Now, we don't know what the future holds for the United States of America. We don't know what the future holds for our families. We don't even know what this day holds. But we know the one who holds the future. And we know the one who holds this day. And he's the same one who holds us in his hand. And his father's hand. And no one can mess with us. Except they get through the hand of God. And if God allows it in, he promises to use it for good. So Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. And he begins by trying to encourage them. And, and praise them for a few things. Uh, they began letters with their name. At, letters were usually written on scrolls, so it was easier to see who it came from if it was on top. 
We sign letters at the bottom, so you have to scroll all the way down to the bottom to see who it came from, uh, unless there happens to be letterhead. Uh, but he had uh, the scroll, and he put his name first, Paul, not because he was most important, but so they would look at the letter and see who it came from. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Now, years ago, my wife said, in verse 2, the saints must be the women. To the saints and faithful brethren. She was just kidding. Uh, to the saints and faithful, to those. See, the Bible says you don't earn sainthood. You receive it from Christ. And every one of us is a believer priest and a saint if we have trusted and received Christ as Savior and if we're walking with Him. We are called to be saints. We're challenged to be saints. And here we're named as saints, the believers in Colossae, just like you and I. We are saints. I don't have to do miracles. I don't have to uh, be elected into sainthood. I was received it as my Savior as a teenager. And when Christ became my Savior, I became one of his saints. But we're also called to be faithful brethren. There are some who stray away, like Paul wrote about Demas. Having loved this present world, he's departed. We're supposed to be faithful. And so he's rejoicing in their faithfulness. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, notice it says, in Christ. When you receive Christ, you are now in Christ. As one lady told me after she trusted the Lord, she said, I always knew Christ was the Savior. Now he's my Savior. You are in Christ. Uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do grace and peace always show up in that order in Paul's letters? <laughs> there is no peace without God's grace. You receive His grace and then you have peace with God. He doesn't say have peace and grace. It's grace and peace in that order. You receive his grace by trusting Christ, then you have his peace, peace with the Father. Verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Isn't it cool to think that there could be somebody who's praying to God and praising God for you? These people, Paul's praising, praying to God and praising God for them. Because they have been faithful to him. They've been serving him. They've responded to the gospel message. They are continuing to, continuing to respond to the teachings of Christ and of the apostles. So he said, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. God is the Father. God and the Father. God and God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. He's praying for them, giving thanks to them, and praising them. And then he says, here's some of the things we praise God for. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We have heard of your faith. Now, faith and faithfulness go hand in hand. James said, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. When you believe in Christ, you have faith in Christ, you should then be working for Christ. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. It's God's plan that we not only have faith in him, but then we have faithfulness in our lives as we walk before him. We give thanks to God and the Father, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. So if we were to conduct an interview and we were to show up in your neighborhood and we were to go to your neighbors, knock on the door and say, hey, do you know this person? And they'd say, yeah. I said, would you consider them a loving person? What would your neighbors say? I had that experience as a pastor once before in a different church, of course, not here. Uh, I was talking with someone in the community about a man who was a deacon in our church. And I mentioned to him that, uh, th this man had done business there. And they said, Oh, you know him? I said, Yes, he's a deacon in our church. And they said, You're kidding. He's the grumpiest, meanest man we know. We don't have grumpy, mean deacons. We have had, but Jim Reeves retired, so. <laughs> you know, see, Lynn, I was talking with Lynn about this is the one issue that I really struggle with. And, you know, our, our rules for interaction in, in our Meetings is you can't slam other people, and I just blew it. So, pardon me just a moment. Okay, back to the message. I'm glad we're not videotaping this. We have heard of your faith. We have heard of your love. Now, if Teresa Qualls is showing love to her children. Might she have an occasion to spank them? Wait, wait, wait. She's supposed to show love. See, true love holds people accountable to truth. It doesn't ignore truth. We have all kinds of people in our culture who say Christians should just show love. And so people go to church and they're living in sin. They're doing evil acts. And the church says, oh, come on in, just worship Jesus with us. That's not what the Bible said Jesus wants for his church. In fact, when it came to sexual immorality, he said, let it not once be named in the church. Let, when it came to uh, illegal uh, scales and balances, God called it an abomination if you're weighing things out inappropriately as a business person, cutting corners or something like that. And, and so God has standards for His church. So yes, we need to be loving, but we also need to hold people accountable to the truth of God's Word. And we first hold ourselves accountable. So back to the illustration of Teresa Qualls, because it's pick on Teresa Day at Victory. Uh, if, if Teresa is disciplining her children but she hasn't disciplined herself first, that's wrong. Hold yourself accountable to God's standard and then help others. Like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Deal with the plank in your own eye, then help your brother deal with the moat in his. Deal with your own sin first, then help others. We have heard of your faith. We, we have heard of your love, which you have to all the saints. And then in, in verse 5, this is another thing he's praising God for. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we're, we've heard your faith and we've heard your love and, and we share this awesome hope. Now, in our culture, people have different understandings of hope than the Bible does. Yesterday, there were some Ohio State fans who were hoping their team might win the game. Ohio State lost 31 to nothing. And one of the sports analysts said, really, the score made the game seem closer than it really was. <laughs> so, so, you know, you can go out to your mailbox hoping you won a sweepstakes. Hoping some family member just sent you a thousand dollar check. You open the mail and it's just bills. Oh, well. No, that's not the kind of hope the Bible presents. This hope is a confident expectation, a sure thing. If we were talking about sweepstakes, back in the old days, Reader's Digest had $5 million sweepstakes. And, and if they called you and said, hey, you won. Bill, you won the sweepstakes. you got to come to New York. We're going to give you plane tickets. He gets the plane tickets in the mail. He flies to New York City. He gets off the plane. They take him to the hotel. He gets all cleaned up. He goes into the meeting, and he and Katya are there so excited, and, and they got that big $5 million check ready to hand to him. See, that's the hope the Bible presents, something you know is coming. It's already been affirmed and confirmed, and you know it's coming, and that's the hope that he's presenting here. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. I don't have to, when I die, get close to death and say, oh, I hope I make it. I know I'll make it because I get into heaven because of what Jesus did, not what Terry Green did. All Terry Green did was receive a free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. And we can know that we're going to heaven. And he's rejoicing that these people had this confidence in the Lord, this joyful expectation, because they heard the truth of the gospel and received the word of truth. Then he says in verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. The gospel was spreading out. Uh, we need to help spread the gospel. Uh, back on the map there, uh, we have different ministries that we support in different parts of the world. And, and we're helping to further the gospel all over the place so that people can know. Uh, as it is in all the world, in, in the middle of verse 6, and bringeth forth fruit, you will not reach everyone you try and witness to. But the more people you witness to, the more people you will win to Christ. If you don't witness you won't win people. If you do witness, you will win some. And bringeth forth fruit as it does also in, doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Then he talks about a person there, uh, a laborer, Epaphras. See, ye have heard of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. 
He was ministering there in the church, possibly the church planter in Colossae, ministering there in the church, came back and gave the Apostle Paul and Luke a great report of what was going on in that town. And then in verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, the it he's referring to is the report they got from Epaphras, the report of how things were going, how they were responding in faith and love, how they were maturing in Christ. Now, if you want to know how to pray for somebody, you want to know, well, how can I pray for Jim Ricosi, our song leader? You can pray he doesn't yell his voice out on Saturday night at football games. Like, uh, how, how, do I, how do I pray for Bill Zimmerman? How, how would I pray for Shirley? How would I pray for Benjamin? You can pray for Shirley in a way you wouldn't for Benjamin because Shirley has back difficulties and at this stage in his life, Benjamin doesn't. It'll come, son. It'll come. <laughs> but, but, so, but here's a prayer you can pray for anybody. Here's a prayer you can pray for our missionaries. Here's a prayer you can pray for the kids in children's church, for the workers in children's church. Here's a prayer you can pray for all of our Awana leaders, all of our Sunday school teachers, the pastor, the deacons, the trustees, the ministry leadership team. You can pray this prayer for just about anybody. And why would I say just about? Because you can't pray this prayer for a lost person. You can only pray this prayer for people who know Christ, who have received Christ as Savior already. And so Paul said, I rejoice that you have received Christ. I rejoice that you have faith in Him and faithfulness to Him. And you have this love. And I rejoice that all this good work is going on there. And you have this hope in Christ. And you're witnessing to people. And some people are responding and being saved. Like Frank did just a little while ago. Trusted Christ as a Savior just a couple of months ago. We're rejoicing that this is going on and this has taken place. And we're thrilled that like we had two new members join the church today. Paul would be thrilled with that. And then he says, now here's how I'm praying. Verse 9. Since the day we heard it, do not to cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled with the knowledge of of his will. See, in verse 1, Paul said he's called to be an apostle by the will of God. He wants you to have a knowledge of God's will. Now, God has a general will for everybody, right? What's something God's general will includes for everybody? To receive Christ as Savior, to be saved. What else? Be in church, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Be in church, worship together. What else? To not lie. What are some other nots? Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill. It's okay if you're in combat to defend yourself or if you're attacked to defend yourself. It's okay if it's a judicial sentence to carry out. Uh, but it's not okay to just go murder somebody. Thou shalt not kill speaks about murder. There's some people who think you shouldn't even kill a bug. Well, the other day, a, a spider went running up the wall right behind me 
And I turned around and splat. Him, not me. And then cleaned up the wall. And that's okay. We don't, anyway, don't murder people. What's something else you should do? Grow. Heard some, pardon? Honor your parents. Your whole life, you have to honor them. You don't have to obey them once you're an adult, but you have to honor them. What else? Serve. Give. Be generous toward God, like the scriptures of Ben and Teresa read earlier. These are, this is God's general will. Everybody can do this. But then he also has a specific will for your life. And some people get really obsessed with, i got to find out what it is God wants me to do. It's really not that complex. You do all the things that He wants you to do in His general will, and then He'll let you know His specific will. I remember as a young man, a new believer, a teenager, and, and into, well, still in my teenage years, I was praying about what God wanted me to do because my dream was to be a lifer in the Marine Corps. When I was two years old, I watched a Marine amphibious landing, told my mom, I'm going to do that someday. It took me 17 years, but I finally did it when I was 19 years old. And I, I wanted to be a Marine. I fired every weapon they had, trained, and I, I hung out of a helicopter with no safety net, just hanging on a rope, going, woo! Only we weren't allowed to go, woo-woo, because we were Marines. We had to go, hmm. But, but it was really cool. On the inside, I was like, woo-hoo. Some of you would find that scary. Um, it's scary that I didn't, but that's another subject. I just started serving God. Kathy and I got married. We made a commitment before we got married. We were going to serve God together. And... We ended up in ministry together. We, we knew we were going to serve God. For a while, I was a business manager working my way through Bible school and thriving uh, financially and business-wise. It done really well. And we left that to pastor a church that before we came here, a, a very struggling work that actually couldn't afford a pastor. And we used all of our retirement money to help sustain the church the first few years. And God really blessed. And and provide it. But it wasn't like God sends out a, a searchlight. You know, what's the what, thy word is a lamp to my feet, holding a lamp out so you can see where to take the next step. We want the two million candle power, boom, I can see the next mile. But God doesn't give us that. So he said that you might know the will of God. Don't get panicked and obsessive about the will of God. The will of God is, is that you serve Him. Now, a couple years ago, Shirley came to me and said, I feel like we should start this ministry of friends needing friends. And Shirley came to me with a friend. And they were going to start it together, and her friend was going to be the lead one, and Shirley was going to be the supporting cast, and, and Kathy Pitstella was going to take it over. And within six months, Kathy had moved to Texas. And Shirley took it over. She wasn't planning that, but she did it. We have people who've been teaching Sunday school here for 20 years. Did they wake up one morning and hear an angel saying, Thou shalt teach Sunday school? You didn't, did you, Evelyn? No, I didn't think so. 
I, I never felt that. I, I never, never walked in anywhere and, and saw a sign, you know, clouds in the sky spelling out, Terry, you're going to be a pastor. You just serve God and allow God to open doors and lead you. The Holy Spirit speaks like he did to Elijah in the still, small voice as you quietly serve him. And just be faithful. That's what they were doing in Colossae. They were being faithful. And now Paul's be filled with the knowledge of his will. Because when you know what God wants you to do, it's so much easier to adjust your life and, and your values. Um, we have people come by the church wanting money all the time. And we contribute to a fund here in the community that helps people who need funds. But we don't have any extra money. And to some of these people, I've said, have you ever read the Bible to see how God wants churches to handle their money? In the Bible, it says the tithe that people give to the church is holy, that it belongs to the Lord, and that we're supposed to use it for His work. And so that's what we do with most of the money. It doesn't stay here. We, we use it to pay bills here and minister here, but we also support missionaries. And I said, there are missionaries in Cuba who have no support except what they get from our church. The only money they get all year long is what they get from our church. And so God didn't say, I want you to meet every financial want of people in the community. Do we have to help people some? Yes, we do. But he also said, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So we have to be careful whom we help. But listen, you know the will of God by reading his word, by listening to his spirit, by taking small steps of faith. It's not going to be a bright, shining light. You're going to take a step, and then another step, and then another step. And every now and then the Lord will give you a glimpse and you can run for 15 steps and then you got to slow down again. Know the will of God. Now, filled with the knowledge of His will, is it sounds like an active verb, but it's actually passive. If you seek God, He fills you with the knowledge of His will. You seek Him in His Word and listening to His Spirit. You read your Bible and you get a good understanding of what God wants. And, and as somebody said, the more we meditate on Scripture, the more readily we'll detect error. Like a, a bank teller focusing on what real bills look like, they can spot a counterfeit. Not because they have researched all the counterfeits, but because they really know the real thing. And that's what we need to be with the Word of God. And then he adds, uh, that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom is the skillful use of the knowledge you have. Like we, I had Tim Martinez up here. We gave him the golden thumbs up. Why? Well, he did some rewiring here, some electric here. Kathy and I hired him to do some work at our house. And he did hundreds of dollars of work for us. And, and I mean, it cost us hundreds of dollars. And we still saved money. He did a fantastic job. We saved money. It was good for him, good for us. Uh, you know, we, we had, th these were three-way switches, and the wire had to be all, and it had to be run all the way back there. Now, imagine if we'd said, you know, we want Martinez to do that, Lynn. How, how do you think those lights would be working this morning? Hey, we want a Martinez to do that. What was that? 
See, see, Missy was here to help Tim. She handed him food when he needed a snack. No, I, but but see, it takes somebody with the skillful use, and and Tim has that skillful use of knowledge to fix all kinds of stuff. And we need to have the skillful use of knowledge of God's word to fit it into our lives. The the Pharisees had memorized a huge chunk of Scripture, but they had no clue how to make it work. And we need to make it work. Wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we can take the truths of God's Word and make it work out in our lives. And then he says in verse 11, or verse 10, sorry, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. See, we're called saints and faithful brethren, just like they were called in Colossae. And now he's saying, walk worthy of the Lord. Every now and then you need to stop and ask yourself, is this the path the Lord wants me to take? Am I doing what he wants me to do? When my son Nathan had graduated from high school, he started going to the university, he came to me and he said, Dad, he said, I'm planning to be a pharmacist, but I've never really prayed about this. It's just something I've wanted to do since I was nine years old. And, and so how do I know what God wants me to do? And I said, well, in, in this particular case, I would just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, this is kind of a dream that I have in my heart, but I'm not sure it's the right thing. So since it's the only dream I have, I'm going to start pursuing it. And if it's not the right dream, then you please show me that it's not the right dream and direct me to where you want me to go. And he's now a pharmacist up in Flagstaff and uh, my medical consultant. (laughs) But see, he could have spent hours on his knees praying, Oh God, show me! God unfolds his will gradually. I met with somebody recently who's who got their life back with the Lord, and now they're just waiting to see what God has for them. And I handed them a Bible. I said, read this, start following this, and you'll start seeing some of what God wants for you. As you learn that and follow more, He'll reveal more. Well, He wanted a special message from God. And I'm going to warn you, as a pastor and as kind of an old guy, I've seen a lot of people seek a special message from God and they've never done much for God. Get your Bible, follow the Spirit, serve Him, and He will direct your paths. So, uh, strengthened with all, or walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. He's the one who's giving you your final report card unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. Say, be fruitful, work and labor and toil, and then increase in that as you grow in grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior so you can grow in your understanding and application of His Word. Strengthen with all might. Uh, This is uh, growth and movement and building. Uh, If you go to the gym and you... uh, Man, gyms are crowded. Fitness centers are crowded the first couple of weeks of January. People make a New Year's resolution, I'm going to go work out. And you know, fitness places love people 
who set it up for automatic bill pay. Because most of the time, people just keep it going, even if they stop working out. And about the end of January, end of February, you got plenty of room in there. There's no waiting lines for the equipment. But if you walk into a gym, you say, I, I joined a gym. And you go in there and you start working out. And you're, it, it, it's not going to work. In fact, people my age and older need to consult their physician before they begin a workout schedule because it could be bad for your heart. Anyway, uh, you, you go in and you start building muscle a little at a time. And when you tax the muscle that you have, uh, lifting more weight or pressing or running, you tax the muscles that you have, that's when it starts to grow. And see, we understand that physically. That if you don't break down the muscle fibers, they don't grow stronger. But we have to realize that happens spiritually too. You have to allow God to stretch you, to allow you to go through extremely uncomfortable things. Death of a loved one, death of a dream, extremely uncomfortable things. And through that process, he's growing you and building spiritual strength. Strengthen with all might. How much might does the Lord have available? All might. He can give you the strength to handle anything and everything all at once. And we know that can happen because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the sins of all the world, all time, all on himself, all at the same time, and he emerged victorious. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can too. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Aren't you glad you don't have to be strengthened according to your deacon's glorious power? Or your pastor's glorious power? Or your mother's glorious power? Aren't you glad it's His glorious power? The power of God in you. And then he says something here that is hard for us. The middle of verse 11. Unto all what? Patience and what? Whoa. What is, what is that? What is patience? That, it's, it's an endurance. Uh, strengthened with all might, again, is passive. Becoming patient and, and, patient and long-suffering. This speaks of enduring difficulties and difficult people. Now, after he talks about patience and long-suffering, he gives a qualification with what? With joyfulness. So I'm not allowed to sit back and say, oh, I'm putting up with him, but it's your heart. No, you can't sing doom, despair, and agony on you if you're really a believer, if you're really walking with the Lord. You allow him to stretch you with uncomfortable circumstances and uncomfortable people. And thereby, you grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior. You are matured in Christ because you've gone through those difficulties and walked with Him. And then showing faith and love toward all the saints, He praised them for doing that. That's where this long-suffering and this patience come, toward all the saints. Some saints are easier to get along with than others. But all the saints. 
And then he says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. See, in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet. He has made us qualified to belong to this group of faithful believers going all the way back to the Apostle Paul, all the way back to the apostles who were with the Lord in his earthly ministry. And all that time, all through church history, the faithful men and women who've stood the test of time, he's made us fit with them. So that when we get to heaven and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are all going to be on equal footing. There's not going to be this special table for super Christians. And out there's the rest of y'all. No, we all belong. We all fit. We belong there because we are in Christ just like they are in Christ. And it's not that He's going to make it happen someday. Someday. Jamie will deserve to sit with the saints of God in heaven. No, Jamie, you already deserve it right now. Sitting with the saints of God in heaven. Well, right now she's sitting with the saints of God on earth. But, you know, before noon today, we could all be sitting with the Lord in heaven. I think we'd be jumping around shouting for a long time. We'd take a while to get down to sitting. But we belong with them. There's no difference. We belong there because we are in Christ. And He's delivered us from the power of darkness. In the dark, you can't see. I have better night vision and better vision in the dark than most people. But I remember being in the bottom of Carlsbad Caverns when I was a kid and they turned out all the lights, not a single light on in that place. And you're down underground. There's no daylight, no reflection, nothing. And, and the guy said, hold your hand up in front of your face. And I couldn't see anything. He said, now move your hand closer. And my hand finally bumped into my nose. I felt it, but I never saw it. It was so dark. And God has taken us from darkness to light. We were doomed and Christ saved us. We were damned on our way to hell. And He saved us and put us on our way to heaven. He's delivered us from that darkness. And, and now we can see what He's done. And He's translated us, made us different people. So we now belong in the kingdom of light. We now belong to Him. And, and we are in Christ. Just like every believer from the great Apostle Paul to people we've never even heard about. We all belong to Him. In verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Did you know there are sins the Lord will not forgive? There are sins the Lord will not forgive. 
For the unsaved, there is the sin of rejecting Christ. They will not be forgiven if they reject Christ. If they reject the truth of God's Word and do not trust Christ, they will end up in hell and there's no way to get around that because they reject Christ. But did you know for the believer there are certain sins he will not forgive? Do you know what those sins are? The sins you don't confess and forsake. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for the believer who knows Christ, the only hindrance to forgiven sin is you don't confess it and you don't turn away from it. If you confess it, He will forgive it, guaranteed. And so we have forgiveness. Every sin we've ever done, forgiveness. Every bad thought we've ever had, forgiveness. If we go to Him, if we confess, if we turn to Him, we are translated into His kingdom, we belong there, and we are the redeemed in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. But like Paul told the Romans, His willingness to forgive us does not give us a blanket of pre-forgiveness for every sin we do commit. If you know Christ as your Savior, you'll end up in heaven. But if you have not confessed your sins as a believer to your Heavenly Father, then you will go into heaven with unconfessed sins and you will lose some of your eternal rewards. Paul told this church, hey, we're really praying for you. We want you to know God's will. We want you to be strengthened by Him. We want you to be undergirded by His power and His presence. We want you to follow Him, to pursue Him. Uh, we want you to, to grow and mature. And we rejoice in your faith and we rejoice in your love. And now move forward for Him being strengthened with His power and His might. Someday, we will deeply regret those decisions we have made to not walk closely with the Lord. Even as a believer, when you stand in the presence of the one who endured hell for you, who bore every sin of yours on the cross, and you stand in his presence, you will regret times of a cavalier attitude towards sin. You will regret not being more committed to Him. Or you can live like the Apostle Paul who said, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm looking forward to my eternal reward." So we need to build into our lives, not just January 1st, 2017, but every day, build into our lives this daily correction. Back to the standard of His Word. Back to following Him, confessing and turning from sin and walking with Him. And make it a daily practice, what's called a spiritual discipline, to realign ourselves with Him 
daily. Because some day will be our last day. And we don't know what day that's going to be. But we can, like Martin Luther said so long ago, 400 years ago, he said, I live this day preparing for that day. Because that's the only day that counts. The day when we're in the presence of the Lord. Now, if you're doing well, rejoice in what's going on. Praise the Lord that you're getting stronger. Rejoice that you're out of darkness and into light. Rejoice that you're moving toward Him. But if there's sin you have to confess, confess it, forsake it, turn away from it, and walk with Him. Because He wants to strengthen you and bless you and enrich your life. So that someday, maybe next year, you can stand up and give a testimony and say, man, I God has grown me and matured me stretched me and blessed me in ways I never imagined. And I can't wait to see Him in the flesh. But until then, I'm going to be faithful right where I am. And Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, you guys are doing great. Now, I'm going to pray that you keep doing great and that you even do greater because you have an unlimited capacity for spiritual growth. Because we serve an awesome God beyond all capacity. And we can keep growing in Christ's likeness forever. So for just a moment, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to think about your life. Is there sin you need to confess? Is there something you should be rejoicing over? And take a moment, just you and God, Ask Him to show you areas where you need to grow and ask Him to encourage you in areas where you're doing well. And in a moment, Jim will come and lead us in a song. Let's stand and let's sing this song. It's a different I Surrender All than what Benjamin sang for us earlier. This is an older one that's been in our hymnal for years. I Surrender All. <laughs> 